0: For June 7th, 2021, it's the Overthinking It podcast, episode 675. I don't have murder suspects. I got family. It's overthinking it, where we subject the popular culture to a level of scrutiny it probably doesn't deserve. The overthinkers are your smart, funny friends from the internet, never happier than when we are gathering together to talk about the things we enjoy. We enjoy them more when we enjoy them with our smart, funny friends. I am your friend, Matt Rather, and I am joined by my friends, uh, Mr.
1: Matthew Belinky. Hello, Matt. How are you? Hey, I just stopped by the Wawa for a hoagie, and also getting that joke out of the way early. Got it. And uh, Pete Fenzel. Hello,
2: Pete. Hey, I was at the Sheets, so I think I'm 200 miles in the wrong direction.
0: (laughs) (laughs) All right. I've never been able to do the uh, the accent, but you know what we discovered? Uh, uh, For a podcast that really has devoted itself to, like, watching old things on HBO Max, old things from the Warner's catalog on HBO Max, like Point Break and whatnot, we've discovered that they're still producing... they're still producing new shows as well. It's not all library content. And, uh, I think they license friends also, right? So, uh, we're gonna, we're gonna, um, we're gonna talk about something new on, uh, on HBO. So it's quick, quick dig- digression. HBO had an incredible creative culture. They had, I think, the best dollars per Emmy budget of any premium television you know uh, uh, producer, right the stuff that 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 Ted Sarandos at Netflix just dream- could barely dream of uh for all the the twenty billions you know tens of billions of dollars that he he pours into content cannot uh match the performance that h b o does with with less and i think it was um i think it was uh you know called into question when they were bought by a t and t and now you know bought by bought by discovery like wondering if if we are going to do naked and afraid, but you know who 's naked and afraid.
2: No, sorry. We're Elmo? Not. <laughs> they have Sesame Street, too. <laughs> they have
0: Sesame Street. I was going to say,
2: Matt, Matt, how much of your HBO viewing is murdering people, and how much of it is counting the number of cookies that we have today? Because for me, it's like 50-50. <laughs>
0: Um, that's, I mean, I, I missed the old days of The Sopranos where you could have both for the, you know, in, in a single television show. The, um, really four quadrant show <laughs> The Sopranos was. I, uh, so hey, we're gonna, we're gonna talk about Mare of Easttown, which is a, uh, which is a crime drama starring Kate Winslet on, uh, on HBO Max. And it has aired all of its six episodes. It's a, it's a mini series. Seven. Seven episodes. It's a mini series. And, um, so, from this point on uh spoiler warning is in effect for Mayor of East Town. Now, I sometimes talk about whether that matters. yes, it does in this case uh it does there there is a, a twist uh at the end, which is with well, actually a couple, which you may find surprising um, you may also find kind of depressing and uh you know, I think that is kind of. Important to the fabric, important to the fabric of the show in a way that I don't think, you know, the plot revelations are always important. Um, important to the, to the fabric of a show. And I mean, I don't know. Do, do I think you should watch it? Yes. I, I kind of think you do. Uh, but you know who, who, uh, who had some thoughts on it <laughs> is the other panelists on the overthinking podcast. No, Matt, you, you had an elaborate theory about, uh, detective shows on, you know, on television and like w- w- a kind of continuum that you posited. So, uh, tell us about what it is. Cause I think it might help us get our conversation started here
1: so here's the deal i i feel like imagine a a scale and on one side of the scale is a detective story that's almost like it's almost like a pure riddle right there's no plot character all these things don't matter all that matters is we're presenting a series of facts and that within the facts is hidden the truth and that the viewer has all the information Necessary to solve the mystery, and the only question is: Are you going to figure it out before the detective goes ahead and spells it all out for you? And I feel like the purest manifestation of this would be Encyclopedia Brown. I was going to say that. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Like, like I, I honestly feel like I mean it's an extreme example, but it's everything. It's, it literally tells you it's like at this point in the story, you you have enough to solve it. Like we've given you everything you need. We're not withholding any any twist from you. Go ahead and come up with your theory, and then we'll tell you if you're right or not. Um, but I feel like a lot of classical mysteries, like like Agatha Christie, I think, was like this. I, I hesitate to imply that Agatha Christie wasn't able to create great characters uh, because obviously she could, you know, like um, – like like, like she, that guy, had, like that like like shuby dooby doop guy
0: and the uh, the the lady, right? Yeah,
2: like that lady from Eastern Europe, the, like, the mustache man. Do you know the mustache man? Yeah, no, exactly. But the mustache I do
0: feel
1: like mustache man.
0: Do you know the mustache man? Sorry, it's, I'm doing John Lithgow from Shrek. Wrong podcast. Listen.
1: But here's here's one thing that I don't believe any Agatha Christie characters would ever do, which is just go on a date. And just talk about their lives, uh-huh. right? That, like, in, a, in a, a really, like, a classical mystery, um, like, everything, or, or, like, think about the Maltese Falcon, right? Like, every chapter is investigation and getting new information and advancing the plot and pursuing various leads. And, you know, the detective is not going to stop to go to therapy, Right. But then there's I and and I, I think it's only in more recent years that you get the detective show as a sort of vehicle for like a character study. Um, and, and I mean, the, the, the main one that I'm thinking in my mind is True Detective, which I don't I did not see all seasons of. But the first season, the the McConaughey, um, Woody Harrelson season, I think I mean, it's not that the plot didn't matter because there's there's a lot of plot in it. I think, you know, they, they want you to think about who done it. But there's a lot in the show about the two men and their relationships and the woman who comes between them. Um, That doesn't have to do with the mystery very strictly, right? It's like a drama. It's a character study. It happens to have murder in it. Um, And so I think when you get into a show like this, it threw me a little bit because I wasn't sure really until it was done. If this was one of those things where every little piece was going to – Tie together into a neat little package. In um, the the thing that that I'm, I'm thinking of specifically is the Guy Pierce plotline. That I, I know he has a name. His name is Richard. He's a he's a famous novelist or used to be a famous novelist in the late nineties. But for the whole show, I was uh, like nursing this theory that he was actually going to turn out to be the murderer. And this was partially based on the evidence, because I do think they dropped some things in there. Uh, Specifically, he mentioned the fact that women seem to really like his book, and that he has a history of sleeping with women who are his admirers. There was the thing about how... The uh, Aaron, the murdered girl's English teacher, uh, felt sorry for her and used to bring her boxes of things. I was waiting for a out to be like one of the things that he would bring her is books to read because she was lonely and isolated and cut off from her friends. And one of the books was his book and that and then lo and behold, he lives like right there in town and that's how they got together. And he's the mystery father of the baby. But we know he doesn't have money because he complained about not being able to pay. Like, I almost felt like they were purposely laying out all the pieces. But it's also for him you, to be the guy
0: you met. You were operating under law and order rules, right? Where the the most famous guest star. Is the killer
1: <laughs> right? Where it's like, oh, Bob Sacketts in this episode. He's absolutely the murderer. Um, but it, it, and I do I, I did see some things online. Apparently, Guy Pierce was not originally supposed to be in the show that a british actor was was cast, and they they rehearsed it. And then there was a directorial shakeup. I guess, even like after production began, and that actor like sort of left with the director and Kate Winslet basically called up her good personal friend, Guy Pearce and asked him for a favor and he jumped on board. So it 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 was not supposed to be such like a high profile actor in the kind of role that makes you sort of scratch your head and wonder how the pieces are going to come together. But it did. I just sort of felt like he was in the show so much that there must be it, it was going to tie into things somehow. And there was a shoe that was going to drop. I could also, I mean, so I mean, that's that's me sort of talking about the mechanics of the show and the contract, the implicit contract that they're laying out with the viewer about, like, um, you know, when we're when we're showing you things on the show, we want you to think about how they're related to the mystery that we're not just going to show you a bunch of stuff that uh is just Mare living her life, um, and but but at the same time, like, I was also. And I mean, and this is just, you know, critiquing the drama and whether or not like we buy it. I guess I didn't buy the idea that he's so smitten with her from day one that they they have a one night stand. And the next time they see each other, he invites her to like a fancy party in his honor. And when she sort of tries to sneak out of the party, he like ditches the he runs out of the party in his honor to try to catch her and beg her to stay. You know, there's this, there's this almost desperation on her part to woo her, and I guess I don't. But, but at the same time, they're kind of an odd couple, right? That like she's this blue collar detective, and he's this academic, um, and it's almost like what are they? And I, I mean, as. Fu- I feel like the show attempts to answer that by sort of laying out this idea that there are two people who are just sort of living in the shadow of their own former former glory. That he's a guy who wrote one successful book and hasn't managed to do anything of note since. And she – in the first episode, they lay out that I, I think um, – what I mean what, what, what's it, what's it called? The name of the first episode – is is I think something significant. Um, basically, you know, she uh, had the winning shot in a high school basketball game twenty years ago, and and you know she's been sort of. But I guess I feel like they didn't follow through on that that idea that that she's um you know uh, she's a uh, was it uh, Taylor Kitsch from Friday Night Lights? You know, like the the high school football hero who just sort of like goes on and lives in the town and just like becomes just a guy and just like can't escape the ideas. Like, didn't you used to be Tim Landry? Uh, mm-hmm. That was his name, right? Tim Landry. I just think of him as Taylor Kitsch. I'm probably the only person in America who's no still Landry. Him as
0: Landry was um, uh, Landry was the, the redheaded fellow. Oh, uh, Tim, Tim Riggins. Tim, Tim Riggins. Riggins. Riggins right?
1: yeah, there you go. yeah. Like, um, and but it's sort of like, I don't get the feeling Jesse that she's just e. sort of constantly. Sorry. Sorry. You know, no. I mean, it was the the guy. The guy that I'm thinking of is the guy from Napoleon Dynamite, right? Like Napoleon's uncle, who is always in the backyard, like trying to like 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 talking about his high school football career and trying to like recreate the move. Like she's not that person who's, who keeps talking about how like oh, for like one shining season, I was like queen of pens of of you know Eastern Pennsylvania. Uh, When I made that shot, it like won the state championship. It's like, she's not living in the past at all. They like invited her to this thing for the 20th anniversary, but like, she has a very successful career. She has, you know, a a crucial role in the town. So I guess, I guess the idea that she's just like Guy Pierce doesn't hold water to me, in which case it's like, what, what is holding them together? I don't know. I mean, I'm going to throw it back to you guys. Like, what did you think of the Guy Pierce relationship and did it, leave you scratching your head and, and waiting for the twist there. Pete Cody. You want to pick <laughs> I was
2: that up? Yeah. I mean, I, I agree. I think that guy, it was in some interesting metacasting and it was a cool discovered accident, right? Because, you know, it wasn't supposed to be Guy Pierce, It was supposed to be what Ben miles from the crown, the guy who played a similar obsessed love interest to princess Margaret, I believe. Right. And was it season one or two of The Crown in real? I mean, obviously playing a person huh. like um, and so, I mean, I didn't find it too hard to believe that a 52 year old single guy would get way too intense on like a reasonably put together and good looking female who liked him. Read A little bit <laughs> like like I get I get that he went kind of all in. It's it's creepy, but he's very lonely. Right. <laughs> and uh, um and he has no one else to take to his party and all this other stuff. So I, that didn't like that didn't bother me. But I did expect something about him to, to come around and turn out to be important. Right. I, I expected him either to find something or to have been somewhere or to have done something. Um, but I guess this intersects with one of the other It intersects with your other claim, right? Your other your other theory here, which is the idea that um, you are on a continuum between detective stories in which the ins- information is instrumental or non-instrumental. Right. Like, is it about solving the mystery or is it about enjoying the story, appreciating the characters? I mean, what are some other stories that are really far on the uh, on the other side of the continuum? Right. Um I'm trying to think about. Well, I think I think um, that
0: that Sherlock Holmes is an interesting case because it it sort of purports to be one, but is in fact the other. Uh, right. That that is to say, which that Sherlock
2: th- Holmes, the Sherlock Holmes TV show with Benedict oh, Cumberbatch. S-
0: sorry, no, I I mean Arthur Conan Doyle's uh, you know d- stories and novellas uh from the oh, the original stuff yeah yeah, 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 yeah that gotcha. that like you know the idea is that you know his whole thing is it's the science of deduction he's like he's you know i'm he's he's written uh, encyclopedia brown encyclopedia you know yes. the the uh the actual you know science Um, and, and yet the whole thing turns out to be so contingent. It's all based on like cultural understanding. It's all based on, it's on, you know, coincidence. And yeah, okay. There's something about like observation and like, yeah, there's a shared cultural context, but like the, the quote unquote deductions, right? Don't, don't really stand up as, as deductive reasoning. If you're not, uh, if you're not sort of part of that, uh, that social set even or like that that immediate environment so so why have they you know why have they endured well people like the the idea like he he hit on an interesting archetype you know of a kind of like uh maladjusted like socially awkward mad scientist kind of character who uh who does it so like so so uh you know the 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 actual aim of of the the actual reason for its popularity is sort of orthogonal to one of the claims that I guess the story makes though, perhaps not the, not the author himself the claim that, that the character makes, but like, as far as, you know, moody atmospheric detective stories, I feel like we've had a number of serials um, on, uh, you know, on, uh, on television, right. That, that, Sort of do this hyper local, um, you know, and even like many of them, even like <laughs> there was a kind of a subgenre focused on uh, sexual v- violence committed against minors, you know, and I'd, I'd put, uh, uh, what, what am I thinking? Top of the Lake, the, um, the one that had, uh, the one that had, um, Peggy a lake in it Uh, it had a lake no no no. it had uh it had Peggy from Mad Men in it and uh and was set in New Zealand and then there was another one that was The Fall which had Scully from X-Files in it
2: Elizabeth Moss and Gillian Anderson
0: uh yeah Scully from X-Files that was set in in Ireland um,
1: right and that one kind of
0: wait, gave away Ireland the game or Northern, because they, or Northern Ireland I forget uh, and and it all, was
1: it was rainy wherever it was but that one <laughs> i think crucially they they show half the show is from the perspective of the murderer like they tell you up front who the murderer is so they they take the fun of solving the mystery um, I mean there's still the fun of seeing like you know the cat and mouse game but it's sort of like just concentrate on the drama don't worry about like putting together the clues yourself.
0: Yeah, that's right. That's right. And I mean, Broadchurch is, is kind of like this. Was this like, you know, very like very focused on place, very focused on kind of atmosphere and very focused on a, a sort of charismatic central character um, who, you know, who regenerates and comes back in a different form uh, every couple seasons or so. Oh, sorry. <laughs> sorry. That's, that's wrong.
2: You're thinking the, of the movie Tenant. Oh, God. David <laughs> Tennant. The movie.
0: <laughs> David, oh, got it. Right. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Uh,
2: no, yeah. Uh, like, inverted time. I like Tom, the one wibbly wobbly, wobbly timey wimey stuff as, uh, Christopher Nolan puts it.
0: I like the one. Yeah. I like the one where, uh, David Tennant, um, uh, gets inverted and is David Capaldi. Uh,
2: <laughs>
0: <laughs> that's so, so right. Like I, I feel like as, for examples of the, you know, of the other kind, there are, you know, uh, there, there have been a lot. Like, I, I think that the, Current television trends have actually have yeah, so, actually favored this kind of thing.
2: So to clarify, you were talking about hyperlocal, moody dramas, mm-hmm. and we're talking about detective stories where the things that are portrayed in the show aren't germane for the most part to providing the audience with the information to guess who's going to turn out in the end to have been the murderer. Okay. Right? So, Pete, yeah. so
0: let me, well, let me, sorry, Matt, Matt let me just cash this one thing out because I think, I think it's interesting. Like, cause I was talking as though those things were the same thing, but maybe I, there's a kind of relevant distinction here to be made between detective story and crime drama. Right. And, okay. and I wonder if, if mayor actually qualifies as a detective story.
2: You you That's would think okay. Well. Go ahead, Matt. Yep. Here, here's here's a, a
1: a sort of a data point that I think is interesting. I would argue that there's a bunch of things that are in there specifically to throw the audience off the scent and to to mislead. I we call those red herrings in the industry. Um, the whole subplot industry, with the, pr- the
2: industry, of hiding murder.
1: Yeah, the, the industry <laughs> of killing people. Right. <laughs> um, Communism. The fish, the fish a, industry. Yes. A- <laughs> But but I would argue that the the whole thing with the priest, the priest who seems very sketchy, who has the sketchy past. It was transferred, exactly. and we actually see at the end of it, one episode, uh, throwing the bike, taking the bike out of his trunk, and throwing it in the or like the at the end of the first episode of the second episode, they have the reveal. It's like I think the baby's father was Frank, um, and then I mean like you know they there's a whole bunch of stuff. I would and I. I think to the point where it's strange credulity that like the, the thing that I feel like they're, they were trying to throw you off the scent a little too hard is some of the stuff with Dylan in the later episodes, having him threaten Jess, the friend with a gun or, or the the revelation that he was out of bed and out of the house had gone completely at on the night of the murder at the time of the murder. And I feel like the, the, the best way that they cash that out is he's sort of like, well, I couldn't sleep and I went for a drive and I guess you're supposed to buy that like that's the actual explanation. No, he was selling drugs. Was he? All right. I mean, I was he actually selling drugs or are you just supposed to read between the lines? No, I thought that was, was that selling-
0: was the deal like where where did uh where did his friend with the car and the gun come from? You yeah, well,
1: well yeah, but I guess I guess it's like I don't feel like they ever really Okay, but but my point is that I think the show He's clearly trying to throw you off the set. And I don't mean that uh, as a critical thing. I kind of enjoy that, that the show is giving you information, but also throwing in a bunch of distracting stuff. But the fact that the show feels like that's an important use of his time, right, is to make sure that the audience hmm. is is not just given necessary information, but given uh, sort of confused uh, to some extent, uh, and sort of like, you know, given distracting information so that they have to play this fun guessing game about like, wait, it looks like this person's guilty, but it also seems like this, per- like, like Billy is acting really suspicious, but the priest is also acting suspicious and Dylan is acting suspicious. You know, how do we, who's, who's acting the most suspicious? That's like a very I would say, traditional detective story thing to do, like Agatha Christie, where it's like, everybody's kind of got a motive and everyone's sort of acting shady. And the role of the detective is to figure out like who is shady for the right reason. Um, Whereas I think that if the show were just interested in drama, it would give you the information maybe that you needed to explain the murder, but it wouldn't care if you figured it out or not. It wouldn't try to keep you from guessing the right answer. But the show is playing this game with you. That I think that that some, you know, if it were just a moody character study, it wouldn't care about that
2: game. I, I would say that – and I think it – I agree with you, Matt. I think that the show is riding the line and doing both. At least that was my experience of it. And I don't know how much the experience of that is, is subjective, whether different people watch the show and sense it in different ways. But one of the clearest examples of that for me was that it portrayed the night of the murder up to a certain point and then cut it off. Mm-hmm without letting you know that there was a murder right because you see her get beaten down but you don't see anything that happens to her afterwards and you don't see her leave but you get to like you meet all these people like oh it's this person it's this person it's this person and uh and then you you watch these events unfold and then when you're later told oh she wasn't dead when she was at the party it, that seems to me like it's a setup where we're supposed to be invested in figuring out what actually happened. Right. It's like that information. It seems like it's pertinent information. It's it's odd to give us so much information about the night of the murder and not just sort of give it away and let it be dramatic irony. Um but again, I guess I don't know how much it, this is about the experience of watching it. Most of the detective shows that I watch are involve LL Cool J, and they're for novelty <laughs> episodes of the podcast. Uh, I'm not a huge consumer of true or false crime. I did watch American Vandal, uh, so I am, I am <laughs> up to speed on that whole. Uh, oh, u- did, you, did you watch both seasons? I did. I did. Yes. Uh, the, that
1: i'm i'm saving the second season uh but yeah american vandals highly recommend him.
2: yeah first season's better than the second season the second season it all takes place in pennsylvania there's a lot of family problems <laughs> it really kind of gets really sad <laughs> but there's but i guess here's the other thing the other thing is that you could probably go down uh, a list of the characters and you could identify which characters end up being pertinent to the to the murder and which ones don't end up being pertinent to the murder and it's not the list that you and 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 those characters have very similar sorts of scenes in certain cases scattered throughout the preceding seasons right the big one being the old couple right like the most the most detective story part of the whole detective story part of the show is the old couple that calls her over because there's a mysterious prowler looking into their window and they haven't set up the security camera yet and you know at some point in the story we're going to come back to this old couple because they're going to have some key piece of information that we didn't get from anybody else right and and it feels like that's like that would be that's such a sort of meaty tv dinnerish kind of cliche uh but but the 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 actress who plays the old lady is so great. Right. And the character is so great that it's like I I would love to see these people more often. I would love to have them show up. But it feels like they're going to matter in the future. And then there's the twist where they kill the old lady off. Right. And it's like, oh, I guess she's not in the story anymore. And then the double twist where it's like, oh, no, that whole thing where the old lady was going to turn out to be important. Like, yeah, it it turns out that. Yeah.
1: But then, but then there were parts of the story that legitimately did not just Guy Pierce, but um, like the whole the whole daughter, the character of the daughter who yeah. obviously uh, plays has a lot of screen time in the story.
2: She's but present her, at the night of the murder,
1: right? Like she, tur- like she could be. She's cut. the ol-
0: she's the only one actually being like remotely humane to the poor girl who gets <laughs> who gets murdered. Yeah. Like, hey, yeah. stop,
1: stop that! <laughs> you know, right. and like protects her. At- Somehow she's out there, but isn't she also at the engagement party? Somehow, like she's everywhere that night.
2: Wait a minute, yeah. there's a hole in
1: the story. I have a theory. <laughs> Wait, okay, but I mean, but here's the point is that like she, well, I mean, what is her role in the story? It's like th- this is, I, I guess, this is look, I enjoy Bear time, I'm not criticizing it, but I guess I just find it hard to pin down because, on the one hand, it feels this very Focused, complex mystery where they give you lots of suspects and lots of clues, um, and the the board is kind of being rearranged, and the odds of various characters are going up and down. But there's also the stuff about like the the son's tragic suicide, and are they going to lose custody of the grandson, and the complicated relationship between the daughter and the mother, and and none of that none of that was ever going to tie back. I don't think I never had a theory that like somehow all that was going of, you know, that, that like this had to do with her son's suicide. Um, like that was just about Mare. So it's, it's, it kind of is this sort of character study and it's about overcoming grief, but, but it's also this sort of like this classic whodunit where they're throwing out like a lot of evidence and a lot of red herrings. And you're supposed to like, uh, get together with your friends online and argue about who you think the murderer is and spin theories yeah.
2: So so here's an idea, and I think this will loop back into another topic about this show and the ways in which this show really rides the line. And I'm not just talking about the state line between uh, Pennsylvania and Delaware uh, or, or Delaware County or, or Maryland or however they all line up. Um, so think about I'm thinking about The Shield, right, which was probably the last honest to God cop show that I watched every week. Right. I was like, hmm. oh, man, you know, what's going to happen in this in this cop show? Uh, Vic Mackey, right, the main character in The Shield, has uh, an autistic child, right, who requires a lot of – a child on the autism spectrum who requires a lot of expensive uh, special education, right, and, like, treatment and, and like uh, – a- and so one of the constant pressures for Vic Mackey to break the law is to get extra money to pay for his kid's special education. And then in the very – near the very end of the show – the the mom gets kind of ambushed when dealing with the kids and the special education and her being at school ends up being like an important plot point and and sort of and like the 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 mom kind of gets vanished right and so like this this fact about Vic mackey's family life is a personal motivator for him but it becomes pertinent to the cop story as the cop crime story develops In Mayor of Easttown, there's a whole bunch of different situations that could play out like that. So, for example, right, like, I mean, the the actual murderer, right? It's like, oh, it's my son. You know, I'm going to I'm going to lie to the police to tell the police that my my husband's brother did it because I'm trying to protect my son who actually did it. Right. Um, that's the that's a kind of like Vic Mackey yes kind of thing where it's like the kid is in the show. We see the kid has emotional problems because of his relationship. He has a special. He also has a special needs sister. Right. Uh, Down syndrome, a uh, sister with Down syndrome. Right. And it's it's uh, I think that's the same family. They're all the same family in eastern Pennsylvania. It's all the same group of people. They're all cousins. <laughs> um, but mayor's daughter isn't involved at all. Right. Like as in it looks like she's going to be there's this bait and switch where it's like you were there the night of the murder. And it's like, oh, my God, my husband was was affiliated with this. And there's this idea that mayor's whole nuclear family of sort of that has been blown up. Right. That sort of like Tsar Bomba exploded. Nuclear family uh, was in some way connected with this murder in like multiple ways. And there's just so many cop shows in which that's exactly what would happen. Right. Like like. Uh, the expectation is that if we're going to introduce these characters who have these close emotional relationships with the protagonist, and they're going to be developed and the protagonist can be developed alongside them, we can more efficiently pursue the plot if those characters end up being relevant to the plot, right? But in Mare of Easttown, they hold it out for you and then they don't do it. And it's different than it's just like, oh, no, it's just a character study because with like half of the other kids, they're all involved. And, and it's like it depends on which situation, like which – like, the kid with the ear surgery ends up being really important to what happens, right? Because it ends up being about Aaron trying to get money for the ear surgery, ends up being, like, one of the red herrings, uh, a part of the story for, like, why she was murdered, right? Um so, so, I would suggest it's that that, in a situation where Mayor of Easttown, and I'll pause this to the group in the situations where Mayor of Easttown specifically doesn't do something in line with what you would expect from a formulaic copper crime show, there are other situations in which it does do it mm. which which suggests that that we are not looking at a show that is a drama dressed up as a copper crime show, but rather a a kind of i mean, you know, as as fans of new criticism, the idea that, like, It is existing in dialogue with the form of the cop show or crime show and is deliberately doing variations on a theme in order to kind of draw out different sorts of elements of meaning or aesthetic quality related to this underlying form that we're all assumed to be familiar with. Uh, on one level or another, right? Whether it's Agatha Christie or Vic Mackey or like you know, Baywatch Nights or whichever cop show or crime show or I'll, or vampire. I mean, show.
0: I'll go you one better, Pete. Where it's it's a little allegory of the soul, right? Where at, at the end, when Mara ascends to heaven on her attic ladder steps, yeah. you know, because she has confessed, she has kind of understood and confessed her 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 sins. She's understood her shortcomings, and she's come to sort of. Uh, she's come to kind of repent for them, uh, in a, in a weird way, like as, as reflected by her making up with, with her, uh, her friend, her soul is now at peace and can, uh, you know, can, can go on about its, its celestial business without, um, you know, being dragged down by, by worldly things anymore.
2: That's better. That's one better. I don't know, How's that relevant? <laughs> it doesn't even seem relevant to what I just said. <laughs> what are you talking about? <laughs> it's <laughs> a, it's,
0: no, it's a, it's a, the, the, the thing that it's in dialogue with is not a, you know, is not actually even a, a cop show. The thing it's in dialogue with is, is the play Everyman. you know, and oh, the, the, okay, the, okay, or, gotcha. or maybe pilgrim's progress or something like that. It really
2: know? could stand to be more of a temperance play because there's a real, <laughs> the evils of substance abuse are very present. Um, but it instead poses the question: What if love were enablement? What if they were the same? <laughs> but the, would the, that work?
0: The, the, uh, oh well? Look, the, those aren't even really good Manhattan's that they're mixing up in the in the. You know, it's, I mean, come on. You you need Luxardo cherries. Never mind. Never mind. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> that it's that it's but no I, not to to make light of your point, but to take it seriously, like that it's sort of existing in dialogue with you know ideas of of cop showness and and kind of doing doing what it wants to do i think with with you know uh visuals with kind of like local um local flavor and kind of local local spirit and and also like just as a canvas for like the the actors to actors to work on right like it's it's something that provides well what does it provide it provides kind of a narrative momentum it provides a sense of stakes it, it provides uh, sort of interest to to the audience um right like a a show that was about like hey watch uh watch Kate Winslet get grief counseling right after after uh, you know coping with the the death of her son who died by suicide, right? Like that's, that's uh, maybe less, um, less interesting than, you know, what, watch her, uh, watch her solve the murder of a minor child who was sexually exploited, which, you know, well,
2: is, is better. I mean, Matt, do you want to weigh on that? Cause I could go right back at it. And I don't want, I want to make sure you mm-hmm. have a chance to weigh in edgewise on this.
1: You know, uh, you know what this show reminded me of more than I, I was thinking, you know, when you're talking about the shield, what, what this show was a, a close cousin to and to me it's it's not even like the fall or true detective or broad church or any of that stuff anybody see the flight attendant
2: no that's the one with kelly cuoco falling on the poster right
1: correct and it was it was on hbo max uh late Last year, uh, November 2020, it hits, um, and it's much more. It's it's more of a comedy thriller mystery. You know, like it's supposed to be fast paced and funny. I'm pretty sure. Oh no, I guess the episodes are, are full length. Um, but the the idea is that like she's she's a sort of hard partying alcoholic flight attendant. Uh, just it's sort of suspended adolescence. Uh, and she wakes up in a hotel. You know, she she's on an overnight uh like layover at a Bangkok, and she hooks up with a passenger from her for the first class cabin that she was serving during the flight. She wakes up in a hotel room uh the following morning, and he's in the bed dead with his throat slashed. And she was so blackout drunk that she didn't even you know, wasn't even aware it happened and doesn't even remember much about the night before. And she panics and like basically gets back on the flight and doesn't tell anybody. And then of course, like it turns out like shadowy people, you know, whoever murdered him is now after her. And maybe there's information that he had that he passed on to her, but she doesn't remember. Um, but here's the reason that I, I, it reminded me of the same thing is that so she
0: is basically, I know, I know what you did last layover.
1: I mean, it's it's a little, yeah, it's a little of the 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 hangover, exactly like the hangover, but like if it's like sort of like, oh no, there's like a hitman after me now, but I can't, I was too drunk to remember why, and I have to figure it out because then I might have something to bargain with. Hmm. Um, But what what makes it seem similar to me is that, like, on the one hand. There's this sort of mechanics of a mystery that, like, okay, we need to do some research. We need to like sneak into this office and get some files out of it, or we need to like tail this person and see where they go and see who they're talking to, um, because it might it might lead us back to like whoever is paying, you know, for this, you know, or like we need to check this this storage space before the bad guys do. But at the same time, she's this sort of damaged person with this family history that comes out in the form of like flashbacks and these sort of conversations with her brother who's worried about her and her lifestyle um and it turns out that she had a father who died tragically and she was there when it happened and she's never really gotten over that and she's never really confronted the fact that her father wasn't a very nice person it wasn't you know she she idolized him and then it she's like constantly sort of revisiting over over the course of um, it, it it's one of these things where like the trauma of being maybe like uh framed for murder and chased by the FBI and having to like go into hiding and clear her name and everything during the course of this sort of madcap zany uh comedy thriller type thing um also causes her to sort of like look into like why she is the way she is and the sort of roots of her trauma. Um, and like revisit some things about herself and like realize that like, oh, I'm an alcoholic, and that like some of the behavior that I thought was cool or noble is in fact like abusive and manipulative. Um, and she's got she's gotta sort herself out before she can solve the case. And it feels a little like Mare. Now, Mare obviously plays much more dramatic. It's not supposed to be fun or breezy, but it is that sort of thing where there is this sort of psychological baggage to unpack but also clues to be like run down um and they sort of happen in parallel and that the the end result is like the detective has not only solved the crime but they've solved themselves to some extent
2: cool is it a good show
1: i i thought it was fun i mean to be to be honest it's so it's it's an eight episode thing um I thought, like, by the end, it had sort of, like, like as they sort of revealed the mystery, it it came in a little more cliche than I wanted it to, that it sort of wraps up in a very formulaic package, as opposed – and it, it starts out as this sort of, like, I'm legitimately interested to know what this stuff is, and it turns out to be, like, the most – kind of predictable thing that it could have been um, but it's still it's a fun ride Rosie Perez is in it and I feel like I don't see Rosie Perez enough she's like sort of an older flight attendant her, yeah, it's my fault yeah. um, but I, I like I, it actually got Greenland for like a second season which I'm curious to to figure out how that works because I, it seems weird that she would get like sort of falsely accused of murder twice but maybe I don't know stranger <laughs> things have happened um, uh. But it, it 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 does feel like the mayor formula, where it's like this sort of tricky female detective with issues that she's got to work out, and then like some some personal character, some some difficult friendships and family members that like she has to she, she has to both enlist their help, but also sort of like get their issues out on the table, um, in order to like you know. Get, to get herself out of out of uh, the the legal trouble, she's gotta like uh like l- go deep into the past, right? Um, and it's interesting because it's it's it it does feel like an interesting mix between this sort of like the 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 kind of cop show where the mystery is really just like a clothesline on which to hang like a drama it versus like the 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 mystery show where it's really just a puzzle for the audience to try to like figure out
2: right so let me ask something um sorry you can go ahead matt if you want no you
0: go, go ahead i've i've uh,
2: yeah okay so so i guess in terms of understanding the context in which these assessments are being delivered how much how much do you kind of perk up or get like an exclamation point over your proverbial head when you see a scene in which a police chief goes to a cop and tells them that because they've been a loose cannon they're off the case and they're being put on leave and they need to turn in their badge and their gun like like when we're talking about assessing the show as like a character study are we all like assuming that that sort of thing is just going to happen and we're not going to talk about it Because for me, that sort of scene like jumps out with like bright neon lights and like blinks (laughs) on and on, right? And is like, Oh, this is like a feminist deconstruction of a cop drama, right? Like where, where like it's a, it's a grizzled working class female cop. And because she's a female cop, like we're going to interrogate some of the expectations about grizzled working class male cops. Like, for example, that they're indestructible, right? And in, in, in the case of Mare, she, she faces off against two relatively friendly middle-aged men, and she comes away with it with a broken arm that's never talked about, right? <laughs> because it's like, oh yeah, you know, it turns out that, uh, that the, this sort of work is dangerous, right? <laughs> and if you go climbing in the mountains by yourself and fighting people, you'll probably get hurt, right? Um, or like she has this sort of wunderkind super cop partner who's by the book, Right. Who gets brought in to help her with the case because she's not making enough progress and she's having problems, you know, deal with that emotionally. Um, all of which is in I Come in Peace. Right. When uh, <laughs> Dolph Lundgren and Brian <laughs> and are hunting aliens, which is not a, I guess it's something of a cop. Track. It's another genre crossover. Um but like but he at the moment where you know he's just given this big monologue, right, about how like he wanted to be a guy who did something big. Right. And he, and it's like, you don't know what I want in my life. And what I want is kind of to do something that makes a difference. And he has the opportunity uh, to kill this guy. Right. To try to save these two girls. And the instant that he even reaches for his gun, he's just murdered. Right. He's just shot in the head and dies because human beings uh, don't react well to bullets. Right. And uh, it turns out that, you know, in this in this interrogation of the cop show, the like the Wunderkind, you know, uh, you know, straight shooting special agent isn't gonna be able to do a flip behind the table and like dodge five shots point blank range. He's going to be shot immediately and killed before he could do anything. Right. Yeah, and I'm
1: I'm yeah. glad you brought him up because we haven't talked okay. about him yet. Um, I thought I thought it was interesting and probably not coincidental that like she's she's this female lead detective. And there's a sort of moment early in the show where they're sort of like, oh, sweetie, you gave it your best. But like, here we have this, here we have this clean cut white man. And we're gonna put him on the case because he's right. he's like the real detective. He's the guy that people trust, right? And then it he's, turns—he's out from the
0: county. He's from
1: the county. Yeah, no, he's he's from the right. But but I I think the gender thing is—I mean, it's it's interesting in both that like there's there's a flirtation there that it's it's I mean I think there's a lot that's interesting about it, but um honestly I kind of so the the revelation about him later is that, and this I felt was pretty contrived is that, like he was like gifted the solution. like like a private detective actually solved the case and then died. It left a file with the solution. like, all, you know, like, it's 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 such an amazing stroke of good luck for him. Not just—I I was thinking at the beginning that, like, you know, like, after that episode, like, couldn't it have been something where it's, like, the private detective solved it, but via a way that wasn't admissible in court? So that, like, the the only way it could happen is, like, he had to basically tell the actual cop, like, who it was and have the actual cop investigate, you know, like, investigate through legal means. But it, it wasn't the cop who came up with the idea, so he feels like a fraud. Um, But in any case— I kind of would have liked it better if there wasn't that, if like he had been somebody who solved the case, but what, but what came out is that Mare is still a better detective, right? That like, he happened to be this guy who caught a lucky break and solved the high profile case. But Mare is a really good detective and she's out there doing thankless work on difficult cases. And she's like a better detective, but she's never going to be appreciated for it because she's not him. You know, And and I don't know. I mean, I, I guess the the show, the show didn't seem super interested and and sort of like, oh, how how it's so difficult to be like a lady detective in a world of men detective. Um, but like, I kind of thought that it was going to go there for a minute. It was going to be that like, she is clearly a better detective. They both know that she's a better detective. Um, but like the world is going to treat him with more
2: authority. And she's got it. And she got to sort of accept that. Right. Right. Which is funny because it looks like it's going in that direction. And they deliberately frustrated at the end, I think, although uh, this might also just be me reading into it when, when and this was probably my favorite moment in the whole show, which was when John, right, confesses to he's confessing to, to the murder, which, of course, he didn't commit. Um, but he is confessing also to his affair. Uh, well, affair. This you know statutory rape abuse relationship uh, that he was having with this teenage girl for a number of years, um, uh, and uh, and he's and he mentions that like she contacted his, him using his niece, right. Is that well? They're all related, right? All, I mean, they, is it her niece?
0: I thought the third. I thought her father was the like the third brother of the of the two of oh, them, and that's yeah, why that, he does
2: Kenny. Yeah, that's, that's why, why they're he, at the family reunion. Uh,
0: and it's like, oh my god, you killed Kenny. The uh, yeah, that's why they're all at the family reunion together. Exactly. Right. So it's even
2: worse. I mean, right? so
0: if you didn't want it, you 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 know, you shouldn't have been related to your brother. Is uh, is right? That's why he's in jail at the end of the of this show. <laughs>
2: um but i mean yeah but it's like but he he tells them that they had that she had a burner cell phone that she used to contact him on the night of the murder and there's this great moment with Kate Winslet's acting where she just seems this combination of like disappointed and and frustrated in him but also in herself and in the general and like everything that's happened right because it's like oh you know if we'd been at the crime scene if, we, if at the crime scene we had happened to have found the burner cell phone that is probably in the river, right, maybe we would have gotten something off of it and all of this wouldn't have happened, right? right? Or maybe they dropped it, she dropped it at the bridge, right? There was one key piece of evidence that we didn't have. And the reason I'm bringing that up now is because that's Quicksilver's story, right? That's Evan Peters' story is that he went, he was worked this case and worked this case and worked this case. And there was one key piece of evidence that he didn't see that the private detectives saw. And so that felt like a callback to me to the idea that, like, I agree, Matt, that, like, they're set up this notion that this is going to be a kind of, uh, you know, critical theory takedown of. Of uh, of like patriarch of detective as as a sort of surrogate for patriarchal order and a kind of reclaiming of the idea of detective stories, but then it also, you know, she ends up echoing the mistakes of the other detective um, because they just happen to be things that happen, um, which again goes back to the idea of well they're not super cops, right? Okay, so we're kind of undermining the idea that this is a cop story that like the kind you watch with LL Cool J in it right because and it also goes back to that thing you're talking about Matt where you know not all of the stuff that you see are clues but also you're not seeing all the clues like there's other clues that you don't get to see which is not the case in Agatha Christie so much right where like oh yeah there was a whole bunch of stuff you could have figured out but you didn't right like you, did, you <laughs> right. didn't know oh by the way we have another butler he's just been in the other room the whole time <laughs> right like, like which is not something that generally happens in an Agatha Christie story because how can you expect to figure out what's going to take place right it certainly wouldn't happen in Encyclopedia Brown, right? Where it's like, well, actually, it turned out that uh, you know, and if and NHL he walked, star Jaromir Yager was in the other room. He walked backwards through the muddy
0: backyard. <laughs> he walked backwards so that his toys would be his toes would be pointing in in the the wrong direction. I'm glad that Pete, you finally come around to the acting because you know, yes. 50 <laughs> minutes in um like the thing the thing that stood out to me about about *Mira of Easttown, like r- rather than the kind of you know one or two kind of sloppy things in in the writing like the 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 guy I, you you described it pete as a like i'm going to die in this episode speech that uh that quicksilver gives about how he about how you know he cheated to solve his his big case and kind of make his his reputation like there there are a couple of things and and look this is overthinking it we we don't think formulaic is bad, but th- there are things that, that, that maybe are not handled as elegantly or thoughtfully, uh, with the formula. But then when, when Kate Winslet kind of puts it together in her head, right? That, that this is what happened. Oh, th- damn it. There's a burner cell phone. Like, A. I'm disgusted with you uh for what you did to this child and B why the hell didn't I think of that yeah, right yeah. and manages to like convey that information and also a whole complicated like universe of emotional reactions uh to that um you know uh that that's like that's orders of magnitude better than almost any similar show you know that that i can name she's just she's just so good and the supporting cast the ones that you know and the ones that you don't know tend to be uh really a cut above as well and i'd i'd go to the i'd also kind of put this in the in the direction because the the direction is like it's you know to the point of the first couple of few episodes being very slow um like the the direction just will let things linger you know will let people's interactions sort of play out in real time rather than do doing something a little more frenetic, which, you know, a lot of television shows do, which is to kind of like cut from like strong reaction to strong simple reaction to strong simple reaction and kind of like paint, paint in primary colors, you know, or kind of paint a, with, with, uh, a line drawing of, of human behavior and kind of human motivation. This like really lets the, it's, it is a, it is a complicated stew. So like the, the, where I came down on it in the end was that like for, for all the reasons we're talking about, it, it was a show where the writing was okay and the the acting and directing were great you know mm. and that like uh and i i sort of i started appreciating that um like does and 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 even in the like the the frankly ridiculous things does no one in this town have a 60 watt or higher light bulb does no <laughs> one in this town like, oh, a you know, a non flickering table lamp, you know right <laughs> like is that you know that like uh the, um, the all all that stuff that some of the moodiness was was maybe a little maybe a little underlined <laughs> maybe a little you know like trying to trying to butter the butter a little bit in terms of the the atmospheric oh that's the word I wanted local atmosphere before like in terms of kind of some of the atmospherics it, it was maybe it was maybe done but like in terms of like letting actors you know kind of letting actors really do good work. Um, like the, the reconciliation between, between Mara and her friend, like is, is wonderful. No, it's totally rushed, right? Like there's a very slow build episodes one through five. Episode six is largely useless. And then episode seven could be a whole season of television. That's, that's. You know, in an hour, because in that she actually, you know, she actually solves the murder, the, the like emotional repercussions of uh, having her family torn apart is, um, you know, uh, 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 is visited upon the family of the, I, I can't remember her friend's name, but her fellow Lady Hawk, who's, you know, whose son did it, like the, the, um, like that. And then they, they reconcile, like all, the, all that happens. And like scene by scene, it's very good. Just I think structurally, in terms of like, in terms of pacing it, it doesn't, doesn't really, uh, um, I don't know. It doesn't really track with the very deliberate pacing of the, the earlier, the earlier part of the show. But yeah, that's, I mean, like, I just like, I loved watching Kate Winslet in this. And that's, that's kind of how I related to it, you know, uh, e- even with some of the, the, uh, maybe the the more formulaic stuff, which was not cashed out in a way that was was particularly interesting as a genre study. It does, you know. The, uh, so there there's a like a theory of reading. That you can sort of read things psychoanalytically like a dream. You know, you can read a, a work of art as you would analyze a dream in therapy, right? Um, And that, like, all—it's all related. Like, there's kind of a central idea, and then there are these distortions that are applied to these ideas, and the distortions are, like, condensation, displacement, and the other one that I'm forgetting, like— um and that you all the images that that show up in the dream all the 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 actions all the emotions that that show up in the dream kind of relate to this this central idea and so like the this way of reading and i'm i'm way simplifying would posit that um uh, you know uh, would posit that like it's all about, it's either all about the writer, you know, or all about the main character. Right. And, and I think you get a little of that in, in Mare town, where like so many, so many people had to die so that she could reconcile with the death of her own son. Right. And that, that. Th- these, that though, yes, of course, in the, in life, these things kind of happen at the same time. The timing of them, the, like, the Christopher Nolan Dunkirk, like, timing, like, uh, you know, um, uh, narration of these things on vastly different time scales so that they all wrap up at the same, so that they all start and they all wrap up at, uh, at exactly the same moment, ending with Mayor's sort of ascent, uh, ascent to heaven, um, I I think like is is inviting us to read a lot of this show as really about about her and about um you know her kind of emotional process of you know processing her grief uh over her son's taking his own life and that like that th- this is not a a way of storytelling that. Really jibes with our expectations of of realistic characters because you know people have their own aims. Like people aren't you know I I know this will be news to uh, to many people I, I to many people out there in the world, but uh other folks aren't there just you know uh, <laughs> just to kind of reflect back upon you, right? Like p- people have their own prerogatives and people have their own aims and people have have their their own. Uh, themes. I, I guess like I came away at the end with sort of a different a different theory of it. Like rather than um rather than Mare sort of being the the central one, the kind of the hero who like finally at the end can uh can sort of face this awful thing that has happened um you know and face her her guilt, her anger, her grief, her, you know, all the all the kind of the complicated Constellation of feelings that she feels really the hero is, is her daughter, uh, because her daughter escapes the town, <laughs> you know, her daughter escapes the like the gravitational pull, uh, of this thing where, where not only are we gonna like, not only are we going to like have a rally in the gym to commemorate the championship season of our women's basketball team, but also five out of five of the starting lineup still live here you know, like haven't, haven't moved, uh, you know, which over, you know, with patterns of people moving around the country over the last couple decades, like is not that realistic as people, you know, as, as industries move and as, you know, small towns, uh, economic base erodes and, and, and things like this. And, and it is interesting that the, that the, um, you know, that, that the daughter kind of has nothing to do with it in the end. And like, she has this sort of plot with a, uh, a romance with a college student and that this like, you know, doesn't work out happily as a romance, but it also kind of sets her on the path to kind of greater individuation and like, and leaving the town. Um, but like the, the thing I'm left with, uh, the thing I'm left with after all of that is that, uh, Pat Benatar's We Belong Together is a really good slow jam to play for a slow dance uh, by a wedding band, you know, and that that like uh, that that definitely is is going on my wish list playlist for for one day. Um, we belong. We belong together. There is a lot in that, Pete. I don't know if there's anything you well, want I to. Well, I mean, not just me. Out. I want
2: to make sure that Matt has an opportunity to jump in because I did the very thing, as I always do, which is, you know. That I said I didn't want to do, which was just go on a big, long monologue, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? Um, oh, we've I mean, all done it. We, we,
0: we've we've <laughs> all done it.
2: At least I once. I mean, Blinky, what do you think about all this stuff? Does any of this resonate with how you saw the show?
1: I was just thinking about, like, how how sad it is for Erin that she got catfished twice in the same night. <laughs> so that the, the first time she thought she was going on a date with a handsome man, but it was just a, a bunch of girls who beat her up. And the second time, she thought she was gonna like meet up with somebody who was gonna give her money for her son's ear surgery, but in fact, it was it was somebody who murdered her. So really, she needs to stop uh, answering her. For- and between that, she met up with the priest. I
2: mean, it's somebody. Guess, it's somebody for a, who can, it's for someone who. a ride. Yeah. <laughs> Deacon, excuse me. Yeah, exactly. Deacon. he's That's, not a priest. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> oh. That was so infuriating. It wasn't infuriating. It was so infuriating. <laughs> He's it is a relevant deacon. to the story, I, it not is, really. but
0: also it, it's it- – Totally unrealistic, right? Like if it was a deacon who who uh, had some like bad reputational thing or got a, got accused of of nefarious acts involving a, a parishioner or a parishioner's child. Like yeah, throw the deacon under the bus, like not a yeah. it's not a priest. Like we don't move that person around. Like we take them out in the back and shoot them. And I'm sorry, you know, bless them with holy water. <laughs> for,
2: for reference, it, we're ta- deacons are usually part time employees. Like they take a sacrament and stuff, but like. Like they have other jobs a lot of the time. A lot of the time they're married, right? Like it's not you're not a monk, right? Like uh, this is the kind of thing that would probably go to HR, right, and not to the Pope, right? So, but you know, um, you know how it is. It's uh, it is. It, I don't want to say it is what it is, but but uh, you know how things are in East Town, where where everything is tough. Um, but no, I see. I mean, yeah, I, I think the acting was phenomenal. That's all. I think the acting was really great in the show. I think that the show was written in such a way as to bring up the acting and highlight it. And I think that we in all these lines that we're talking about the show walking, the most impressive thing about the show is that the actors walk the lines, I think. Um, Some characters only have to be on one side of the line, like this sketchy dude who keeps the women in his locked dungeon. Right. Right. Like he is like the bad guy from True Detective. Right. He is like – very clear on what he's doing in the story. It feels
1: like he's from like a different show. It
2: really (laughs) does. Yeah. It's like, it's like, it's like, uh, um, Marcia Hardigay is going to come in and take him out. Right. Right. Exactly. God
0: bless you. The, uh, (laughs) the, you know, yeah, the whole, the, yeah, the whole, like, uh, what sex dungeon that he's keeping in the back of a disused bar. It's, it's, uh, really disturbing. And it's not, it really doesn't, have to do with our, you know, our sort of allegory. But like, it is like, I don't know, it, it, there, there is this kind of like bait and switch a, a number of times in the show where you think, like, you think you're solving one mystery, but it's another, or you think you've, you've caught the killer. And in fact, you have a confession, but it's another, like, and you think, you think you have, um, like, yeah, yeah you're you're not you actually are not clear on the rules of the the game that you're playing. Like is mm-hmm. is, a, is a thing that happens a number of times um, in the show, even in a very micro way with like Mare leaving the part Mare leaving Guy Ritchie's not Guy Ritchie, Guy pierce If she left Guy Ritchie's party, <laughs> I, I would never forgive her because I'll bet that guy mm-hmm. can throw a party. Uh, but but uh, in 3D. <laughs> um but the uh you know she leaves guy pierce's party um and it's you know it's like oh you know i'm sorry i thought i was you know doing one thing and i i was doing another and that like or what is the what is the dinner that she has with detective Wonderkind oh is this a date i thought i was on a date but you're actually you're actually here for the thing so so it makes sense that like in a in a show that's in dialogue with genre conventions there are a lot of um Not, not exactly red herrings, but kind of slippages, expectational slippages, you know, where, where you think you've kind of sunk your teeth into one thing. That's a gross uh, metaphor. Um, (laughs) you, you think you have. Uh, you think you have an understanding of what the, um, uh, you know, of, of what the dynamics of this situation are. And no, it's, it's sort of turned at the end. Let me close by asking, like, were you surprised by the twist at the end? Were you surprised by who it turned out to be? Uh, or had you clocked that, like, from early on based on, you know, uh, based on certain things in the earlier scene of, of him and his father talking saying, this is our little secret, you know? Uh, and that like, uh, uh, there were a couple other little moments like that, that, that you could pick up on throughout. Um, I will go first and say that, that I was surprised. Um, I didn't, I didn't pick it up that it was this, uh, that this, this young kid, uh, what about you, Matt?
1: All right. I certainly didn't think it was Ryan. I actually, here's the deal. The, the detail about the fact that the gun was a special cop gun really stuck out like a sore thumb to me. Yeah, And I knew that was coming back at some point because it's so specific and it was such, I mean, honestly, you have to uh, suspend your disbelief a little. Like, I don't even think it would go to trial or like like they wouldn't be able to wrap up the case until they could explain where this very specific gun came from that he clearly you know like um what john is trying to make up a story to protect his son but there's no logical story he can make up about where he got this specific gun that he clearly doesn't have access to and and my best theory is that somehow it was Mare's daughter and that it was the father's the dead father's gun because we know that that she has this old gun that she keeps in her bedroom that's an old cop gun and I just, it felt like that's Chekhov's gun, that, like, it's got to have been the gun from Mare's own bedroom that did the murder, but I didn't see how it could possibly be the daughter. So I didn't have a theory, but I I, I knew something was coming.
2: Hmm. people are yeah, about I, you? I didn't expect, and not only did I not expect it all, but I didn't buy it. Huh. It, just, it just didn't feel, it felt too um, meta-narrative to me. Um, like, they're, they're trying a little too hard to be like, one more twist just for the road. Oh man, gosh, this guy has a sister who has Down syndrome and she's being assaulted in the school cafeteria and the teachers aren't doing anything. So he goes up and attacks the guy who's assaulting his sister. He must be a murderer, right? Like he, he must have some sort of deep-seated emotional problems. That's an entirely normal reaction to that situation in my mind, right? Like, like it is entirely normal. I mean, this this goes back to a, an ongoing conversation in my house about Cobra Kai, the TV show, <laughs> which is just like, like my 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 wife Sarah has real trouble watching that show because the the adult figures are, like, so incompetent, right? Like, like how many times is the school going to be paralyzed by karate-related violence, right? <laughs> like, like, how many times are the teachers going to, like, not do anything about any of the horrible things that are happening right in front of them? And this isn't, like, a cautionary tale like the substitute this is supposed to be a well-run school right like and it's just and they're just so oblivious to everything that's happening right um and that felt a little bit like that to me where it's like look the kid is clearly dealing with some stuff but like i i think i don't know i read a bunch of takes after the fact that we like well wasn't it obvious from how angry he was i was like no He's like, he's on the edge of puberty, right? Like he's on the edge of puberty.
0: His sister is being abused at school and, and his his dad is having an affair and he like knew about it and was, was kind of like a secret keeper for his dad in this, you know, way that was way inappropriate for his age. Uh Right. Like, I think, think yeah,
2: yeah. The thing I didn't buy was that he would go get a gun for the purpose of shooting her If he if he didn't have any sort of like ongoing regular familiarity with guns. Right. Like it's like he's just going to steal this gun from this guy he mows the lawn for, which he's never touched. He doesn't know how to hold the gun. We know he has no training with it. And like he has to go to a lot of trouble to go get it. So it's sort of like if it's going to be this kid and he's going to do it by accident, it all just felt a little bit too difficult. Right. Like if it's going to be a crime of opportunity, which is kind of necessary for it being so worked up in terms of passion like it needed a better opportunity like why did the bullet ricochet right like i don't know i guess i was expecting there to be a twist and i didn't expect it to be that kid but i expected it to be a kid you know i expected it to go back to that crew that was at that beat him up scene and, and that was somebody was there right and something i missed i don't know
1: but I mean, um, yeah, like I, I have questions as well. Like I, I forget how Ryan actually learns that it's the cousin, but I mean, let's, let's put aside the logistical concerns. Um, how does the emotional truth? I mean, like, like what they're trying to say is that like, it's the younger, like all these sins get visited on the next generation and sort of like root and, and, or like, you know, the, the things that we do to protect our children are actually doing them no favors. Like that's actually what dooms them. The fact mm-hmm. that like, we don't, I mean, I, I, I feel like it's not just them throwing in a twist for the sake of throwing in the twist, That like the fact that Ryan is the murderer is the whole point. Um, right. and, and that like, it, it ties into the fact that like her son, uh was lost, right? Like it's not the same thing where like her son committed a crime and had to be put away, but it's like she tried to protect her son and couldn't, right? right? And like like um and so then like and her best friend is sort of befalls the same fate. And it's interesting that like Mare has this decision. Mare does not have to go after Ryan, right? Like she's the 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 case has been wrapped up to everyone's satisfaction.
2: Yes, yes, yes. That was interesting. I mean, I, as much as I might have strained credulity in terms of the logistics, the way it was revealed and what happened afterward was really compelling. And you're really right. She didn't have to go after him. She didn't have to go after him. So the. I mean,
1: I, mean I, th- I think it's worth unpacking. Like, what is the show? I mean, one way to interpret it is just the fact that, like, Mare has an obsessive streak, right? Mare is the kind of person who gets taken off the case in the third episode of a seven-episode miniseries and doesn't let that slow her down anymore. And, like, despite her chief being like, I'm warning you, don't go anywhere near this case, continues to pursue the case, like, 24-7, <laughs> you know, goes out on a date with a guy under false pretenses to grill him for information about a case. Um, you know, d- two times goes into a dangerous situation uh, without proper backup to, you know, because she cannot, she, she can't uh, take her foot off the pedal even a little bit. And that's both her greatest strength and greatest weakness. Right. And so like one way to interpret it is the fact that like she, she couldn't leave well enough. Right. Just like her friend, you know, angrily accuses her. of is like, why couldn't you just let it go? Right. Like, you know, that this kid is as much a victim, as you know, is 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 a is a victim here. Is that like it's not like a cold blooded sociopath? Um, why did you have to come after him? And I guess one interpretation is the fact that like that's who she is. She's like a, a bulldog, and that like once she gets a once she finds a loose end, she's going to keep pulling until everything unravels. For even at the cost of her own friendships. But I mean, I, I like to believe it's more than that because that just makes it seem like it's a it's a character flaw on Mare's part that leads to this tragedy. And I, I like to believe in sort of this understanding that you can't sweep things under the rug uh, because eventually it, it all comes out in tragic ways. That, like, everything has to, like, like people have to confront hard truths. to move. I, I, I'm not quite putting it together, but I, I like to feel that, like, there's a thematic wholeness to that final twist in the resolution of it.
2: The the parallel to me that stands out the most, because one of the things about the show, and I know that we're at time, but um I feel like this is maybe worth talking about. There's so many custody battles that are happening. There's so many situations where parents are fighting to be able to be the one to raise their kid or someone else's kid. And the, the parallel for me, as you're ta- hearing you talking about it, to the notion of, OK, you know, Mary couldn't protect her son. We've talked about how Mare's daughter might be kind of the protagonist in the sense of like, what is it, like a marriage story, right? It's like the story of the marriage of the kids, not of the marriage of the parents in a certain way of looking at it. Um, and then so much of this is about D.J. and his ear infection, right? And we're led to believe, I think, that – oh, not D.J. Wait, um, sorry, I'm getting the ki- the people's names mixed up. No, it's, D- it's DJ's. D.J. Yeah, Yeah. is it Daryl? Who is the who's the kind of drug drug dealer? Yeah. And and DJ is Daryl Jr. Right, 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 right. So like Daryl's parents love DJ. And and contrary to the lighting and the show, not everybody in the show is poor. Right. Like Daryl's parents seem like relatively put together and capable of like raising this kid. Right. Daryl just isn't. Daryl's not invested. He's not he's not engaged. Right, he doesn't care, and he's and he and so he's not participating. Right, and he's reflecting that back to Aaron and to everybody else. So like, there that final act of of John saying to his wife that they should take in DJ, right, because it's his son, takes DJ away from Daryl's parents who loved him, and, right?
1: and puts him into the house with the person who killed his mom.
2: Right. And and the and the woman who's raising him doesn't want to be doing it. I mean, yeah, she has this like up long dead look mom. on her face. Exactly, no, it's,
1: it's crazy that they somehow got that child protective services couldn't work that out. <laughs> the
2: child protective services didn't just airlift this whole town, uh, <laughs> <laughs> like drop it into the Delaware Water Gap. <laughs> but I mean, that's just that's just life. Well, right? that's that's, just that's life.
0: I mean, it it was so well received that they're talking about season two, and so that may be what happened what happens in season two. It's going to is be that...
2: like a water world post-apocalyptic situation where like an emergency international coalition of child protective services, is like none of these people should have custody of any of these children. And the only way to do that is to destroy them forever. And they <laughs> so, go back yeah. in time and erase them from existence. I like, I like it <laughs> as a water
0: world. I was thinking of it as like uh, Avengers age of Ultron kind of thing yeah. where you like raise <laughs> the whole city up and then drop it down. But I like it if they put it in the, in the, the, you know, the middle of the ocean somewhere is this sort of floating island this like atlantis type island it's like are you the mayor of east town east west north south there's just town there's town (laughs) there's water
2: you know it's going to be great because evan peter's character is going to come back but he's going to be played by the quicksilver guy from the age of ultron (laughs) 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 because it's all part of the same universe yeah um yeah, I think and I will I will say the scene in this show where the the little boy is gonna drown in this they show a little boy who has presumptively drowned in the bathtub oh yeah no that was that, that was, was the not most respectful cool. part of the entire show that was like capital n capital c not cool all <laughs> yeah. right like that was that that baited switch that manipulative baited i mean i guess it it had a purpose it wasn't just gratuitous but like i i wanted to throw up after that scene i just couldn't i couldn't deal i can't i can't even imagine like I don't know. I've gotten soft in my parenting and right? it's like, I, you know, I, I end up, I end up caring what happens to children. You're too, identi- right? <laughs> you're
0: too identified with good childcare, Pete, you know?
2: And like, Sorry. yeah, like making sure, like, I got to pay attention in the bath. I got to pay attention to the bath. Um, but of course our baths are very choreographed. We have little mats that we put our knees on and you know, everything has its song and it's all kind of like you know lined up and and it's like one parent grabs the kid if he makes a dart for it and the other parent is this washing routine maybe it's a little too structured i don't know we definitely oh. don't pass out on the edge of the tub but um but yeah yeah i guess what we're just saying is like you in all the ways you could read the show you could read this as a show about um you know kind of like parents as, as the transformation from adolescence to adulthood to parenthood as not being sufficient to, of of a of a transformation right like you could read this as like springsteen's the river Hmm. right which i think is now the second time that song has come up in the past three or four episodes where it's like this is what happens young people end up with babies right and they have no training and they have no experience and they don't know what to do and they do their best right um and and then it turns out that those kids have problems and then they raise the next round of kids right and uh and and you know um, we're living so, here in Allentown, and right. they shut down all the factories. And, just to and that's take the Billy it. Joel one with the shirtless dudes in the in the overalls. Yes. This is more of a or to take it scene. to take
0: it in a more John John Mayer direction. You know, fathers be good to your daughters.
2: Luck, <laughs> <laughs> because daughters will love like you do. <laughs> I'm like my head is in my hand. I can't deal. <laughs> Wait.
0: Or you know, uh, many times I've tried to tell you. Many times I cried <laughs> alone. Always, I'm surprised how well you cut my feelings to
2: the bone. Do you, do you think? And this is my last question. Do you think Mare knows about the movie Lady Hawk?
0: <laughs>
2: <laughs> do you think she even knows it exists? With what?
0: With well, she's like 28 years old, so probably no, right? Like Mayor, Mare? Mare yeah, 28 years Well, is a grandmother. She's a, a, Philly grandmother. She's a Philly, <laughs> I know, she's a grandmother played played by. Kate Winside, who's 45 maybe.
2: <laughs> right, right, right. Like I assumed that the reason she's called Lady Hawk is because this happened a few years after the movie Lady Hawk came out, right? And the sh- and this team is called the Hawks, and so it was still sort of a reference, right? And of course to those unknowing, uh, the movie Lady Hawk is a Richard Donner fantasy film starring, uh, among other people, Michelle Pfeiffer and Rutger Hauer and Matthew Broderick. But Michelle Pfeiffer plays a lady who transforms into a hawk. Uh, the 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 eponymous the teacher, Lady Hawk, yeah, Lady Hawk, and, lady hawk. Lady hawk. <laughs> um, and it's intense, you know, <laughs> like but like is how is intense, you, <laughs> of all the things in East Town that are kind of crappy, like having this nickname. That has no currency for you, right? Like, <laughs> we don't even see her watch a television show in this, let alone, you know, like appreciate retros fantasy movies from the mid 80s. Um, she probably doesn't even know because they ask her why they call her Lady Hawk. I fully expect her to be like, well, you know, there's, I thought it was an old detective show. I was like, oh yeah, what was Lady Hawk? Was it sort of like the Scarecrow and Mrs. King, but without the Scarecrow? Right. Like that would make sense. And it's like, Oh yeah, no, it's the one where Michelle Pfeiffer is a bird. Not that one. The other one uh, <laughs> a, that was a cad.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: she's been, she's been so many things guys. I think we, we got to wrap it up. We've uh, we've run over our, our time, but uh, it was so fun talking to you. So thanks for that. And thanks everyone who listened. It was great to uh, to talk about mirror of Easttown. Counting down the weeks, counting down the weeks till uh, F nine. Pete, you got your tickets already. I'm, I'm giving. Oh yeah, to we got our
2: tickets. We got our tickets. Yeah,
0: I'm, I'm gonna call it now. That's probably gonna be my return to to in person movie going. Uh, is that I probably won't do it. I won't see anything before that, just because I want it to be special. You know.
1: Yeah, I haven't even seen the trailer. I don't want to know anything about like the big stunt sequences. I just want to like go in and and have like like the old uh what is it like cassette tape ad where like the 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 soundtrack comes out of the speakers so hard that it blows the scarf backwards <laughs> right <laughs> i want that to happen to me in real life
2: no, no, no this it's it's actually more of a character study you see and it's like <laughs> no. it actually stars uh it stars who would be the funniest? The ben the Miles in this one. Yeah, yeah. That's why Ben Miles had to leave because he had to star as the pensive. <laughs> it takes place in in the Upper Peninsula of Michigan. Right. right. Exactly. <laughs> it's called.
0: Yeah. It's yeah. It's called uh, Mackinac Island.
2: Yeah, F- Mackinac. <laughs> Fast and the Furious Nine. Mackinac, Mackinac Island. Island. Right. <laughs> and yeah. Exactly. And there's this marina, right? And it's broken. And then there's a person who gets killed at the marina. But then there's, uh, but then uh, Edie Falco is there, right? (laughs) But she's got a really authentic Michigan accent. They even have a, uh, they even do CGI on her face. So she looks like she's from Michigan. I didn't even know that was a thing that it was it was real, but once you once you see it, you believe it. Like, oh man, that yeah. person is from Michigan. <laughs> That's good. she just oozes Michigan. They 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 de un Michiganed her with computers.
0: <laughs> <laughs> we might I mean, we're so excited about F9, we might do several podcasts about these fake movies that we make up as though it were <laughs> as though it were them. That would that would be a just wonderful. get excited, movie. yeah. Yeah, get get excited, everybody. We're back. Back to normal. Don't have friends. We have family. <laughs> That's what overthinking
2: is. And they're about. all dysfunctional. They're <laughs> they all live in each They never leave. Everybody is having affairs with everybody. Don't fall like, asleep I don't have while the babies are I don't in have the murder suspects. I have
1: family. Yeah.
2: <laughs> <laughs> all right. Uh, we'll be back next week.
0: Until then, visit us on the web at overthinkingit.com where we subject the popular culture to a level of scrutiny. It's it probably doesn't.
1: All right. I got a, I got a quick pitch for mayor season two. So it's basically Beverly Hills cop. She's going out to Berkeley to visit her daughter and while she's there, there's, like, a murder, and she, like, can't resist getting involved. And there's, like, a metrosexual Berkeley chief of police She's like, listen, I don't know how you do things out of Pennsylvania, but this is Berkeley. I don't want you meddling in my investigation. <laughs> wow. and she uh, she puts a hoagie in the tailpipe. <laughs> <laughs> Here's Chekhov's hoagie for you.